Deutsche Post DHL is one of the biggest companies on the planet. We do have close to 600,000 people working for BP DHL. We do have operating divisions in many different fields of logistics. Sustainability has emerged as the number one topic in discussions with our customers. What needs to be done? What needs to happen? If you look at this science-based target organization, they've clustered the whole kind of emissions for carbons across all industries. And logistics is responsible for 20% of the global emissions. So we have a big, big role to play. It's very important to develop the people that work with you because you will be judged as well by what you do to other people. Don't always look at your own career, but actually do something for the people that work with you. This is CIONA TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Marcus Vos, who's the global CIO and COO of DHL Supply Chain. A very warm welcome, Marcus. Thanks for having me, Hendrik. So, Marcus, you have a PhD in physical uh, chemistry from the University of Cologne, close by. You started your career at Accenture, and then almost 20 years ago, you joined DHL. You have uh, had very uh, different positions, mostly in IT and in strategy. And in 2017, you became the global CIO and COO of DHL Supply Chain. Uh, so, Marcus, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background? Uh, who are you really, and how did you arrive in this position? Yeah, you got uh, you got the cornerstones right. Um, I am a scientist mm -hmm. uh, by by trade, um, yeah. and that has been something that has, I guess, influenced me significantly across my 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 whole career. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually a question that I get: How does a chemist end up in a logistics company as Where a CIO? Where did you go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when I finished my, my PhD, it was fundamental research, mm -hmm. um, I really realized that there, there must be things outside the lab there mm -hmm. as well. But I did, I did apply at chemical companies mm -hmm. at the time, um, but the war for talent was on and the consultant companies were very quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you did just one day um, assessment center at the end of the day, the contract was there lying in front of you, very attractive, very interesting work. And uh, then indeed I joined consulting. Um, I've consulted a number of companies around uh, the topics of introduction of uh, information management systems. Okay. Uh, I started indeed um, in pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. chemical companies, yeah. so there was still a good relation. Um, but then 2003, I got my family started. Uh, I thought it might be a good idea to do a little bit less travel. Mm -hmm. And the offer from the PDHL, a headhunter, um, did approach me and I said, okay, it sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I joined and I've never looked back. It's okay. been, it's been fantastic. I've had a great career. It's a, it's a great company. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, indeed, I mean, now uh, I'm leading one of the biggest uh, logistics companies in the world yeah. uh, in technology and in operations. So let's talk a little bit about DHL. I mean, it's a very well-known brand. And of course, we know DHL Express, but DHL, uh, Deutsche Post, DHL, DP, DHL is bigger than that. So give us the big picture. What is the group and then what is supply chain and what is that supply chain does really, really well? Yeah, Deutsche Post, DHL. Um, is one of the biggest companies on the on the planet. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, we do have close to 600,000 people Jesus. working for DPDHL. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have operating divisions in many different fields of logistics. Mm -hmm. So the Deutsche Post in Germany yep. and parcel business is a big, big part of the group. Yep. Um, but then the DHL brands would be around Express, our air freight, sea freight business and global forwarding. Mm -hmm. uh, we do uh, have an e-commerce business and then we have supply chain. Supply okay. chain is what I'm working for. Uh, we are 140,000 people wow. across the world, mm -hmm. and we do operate supply chains for big international and local companies. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? We're operating more than 2,000 warehouses where goods are stored, yep. picked, packed, received, and then obviously shipped. Um, and we do then do the transport management for our customers. Yep. So many are saying, hey, logistics is really not our core business. DHL, can you do that for us? And that um, drives the whole supply chain optimization. So basically big companies like, I don't know, Bayer, they outsource the complete supply chain to, uh, to, to you. That's right, that's okay. right. You would hardly find any, any of the big brands that are, are not working with us. Okay, and so let's first start with the, with the global picture. I mean, we live in special times. Uh, there's global uh, geopolitical instability. There is... Um, uh, an energy crisis going on, there's a climate crisis going on, there's inflation which is, uh, is, is uh, soaring, uh, and so on and so on. So we live in very special times. So what would you say that today within DHL supply chain uh, are the main drivers for change? What is that you most focus on today? Yeah, the two big topics that I would mention mm -hmm. that are also influencing my everyday life mm -hmm. are number one, digitalization. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of work that we can do there, uh, especially in supply chain. The second is sustainability. Okay. Sustainability has emerged as uh, the number one topic in discussions with our customers mm -hmm. uh, of what needs to be done, what needs to happen. If you look at this science-based target organization, they've clustered the whole kind of emissions for carbons mm -hmm. across all industries. And logistics is responsible for 20% wow. of the global emissions. So we have a big, big role to play mm -hmm. to bring emissions down and we take it very seriously. Yeah. This is something that the group has started already in 2008. I'm very okay. proud that, that that topic has been identified as yeah. one of the most pressing things that as a logistics company we need to concentrate on. And already then we said by 2050 we'll be carbon neutral okay. um, and zero emissions. And that's something which is very important for us and we need to um, continuously kind of look at that. And just two years ago we have reaffirmed that and said we will invest mm -hmm. 7 billion until 2030 in that topic of driving our carbon footprint significantly down. So that's really amazing, huh? seven billion, so almost a billion a year that you're gonna invest on the total revenue of what is it of the Of group? about 70 billion a year. So 70 billion revenue, you're investing almost uh, like a billion a year in, in becoming more sustainable sustainable as, as an organization. So, so tell us where are you and what are the different steps that you're taking in this race to net zero, let's call it, what is the, uh, the phase that you're in today? So if you look at um, carbon emissions, mm -hmm. then obviously there's a, a whole range of things that we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, in my supply chain divisions, we operate, as I said, 2,000 warehouses. And that's a relatively, relatively simple thing to do, but it only is 
um, contributed to 8% of the footprint of supply chain division. So making so a warehouse net zero. A warehouse zero. completely net zero. Okay. So we are already at 40% of our um, warehouses, which mm -hmm. are currently carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. But um, there is still some work to be done. But this will only tackle like 8% of our overall footprint. Yeah. The other part in my division would be transport, road transport. Yeah. And we are constantly investing into this. Uh, we said that by 2030, the last mile will be 60% electrified. Mm -hmm. And we are personally investing into all technologies right now, yeah. whether that is biogas, whether that will be electric, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're also discussing hydrogen uh, with the car manufacturers, but it's still a little bit way out. Okay. But then, finally, if you look at the wider group of DPDHL, obviously the air freight is the biggest thing that we need to be tackling. We have recently announced as a group um, the first fully electric vehicle that ha had its maiden flight uh, okay. near Seattle. Wow. Um, so we're partnering uh, with a company that builds a fully electric airplane. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something which is still early days. Um, yeah. But that's definitely something that we have to invest to. Right now, the only solution for um, the air is sustainable uh, fuels. Yeah. And that's what we have already invested significantly. SAF, as, as, as they yeah. say them, yeah. yes. And so, uh, so transport, road transport and air transport are the main, I mean, the main places where there's still a lot of work. And, and so there's different options. Where do you see most potential? Is it in uh, electrification or is it in hydrogen? I mean, there's many different options. Are you And which one are you exploring most? Yeah, we are technologically open right now. And I yeah. think we have to be. We have to use all levers that we can pull right now. If I mm -hmm. again look at the road, um, we are working very strongly on the on the biogas and, and, and gas trucks um, mm -hmm. right yeah. now. That's a that's a technology that is available and we have to do it now. If yeah. we have to wait until technology is ready uh, for prime time for some of the other solutions, batteries are maybe not as heavy or have a higher density yeah. and hydrogen um, is available um, is something that is too late. Yeah. And that's why bridge technologies are important to us and, and we're investing into this. Okay. Personally, I think electric is, has probably a, a, a big potential mm -hmm. um, and is going to be potentially the winner. Yeah. But, uh, but that's a bet, um, I guess, that we have to look at yeah. right now and see what the other technologies are, are looking like and, and we will be using all of them. I understand that you have your first Tesla trucks coming in as well. And we're still waiting for them <laughs> to arrive, indeed. Uh -huh. <laughs> but we, 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 we do operate some, uh, some electric trucks already, okay. uh, both in the UK as well as also in Europe. Um, so that's something uh, we are all working very closely with the OEMs mm -hmm. um, and get kind of things which are even before yeah. uh, they are ready for prime time yeah. and, and fully industrial scale. But, but that's something where we can work um, also, because we have the need and we have the knowledge um, in the logistics industry and the OEMs are very interested to work with us. Right. Now you're responsible for uh, as a COO and as a CIO, so operations and, and, and digital. Um, and of course, in operations with fuel and so on, uh, efficiencies, hydrogen, electrification and so on, there's so much to be done, but also digital, of course. So in general, how, how do you see the role of of digital in becoming more sustainable in, uh, in, in your business? Yeah, one of the most important things that we already can do right now mm -hmm. is the utilization of data. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look at um, any type of movements that are happening on the roads, mm -hmm. I always say it's a crime to ship air. Um, mm -hmm. And that's still happening. Many, many of the back holes, so you've sent a truck somewhere, but on the way back, um, they are not filled um, entirely. So mm -hmm. that's something where we have spent a lot of effort recently to connect all of our systems to understand where is a possible shipment that goes the other way around mm -hmm. so that we can re reduce significantly uh, the footprint that we are creating because yeah. we don't have to use another another truck on the same route yeah. that otherwise you could have filled. Okay. We have done a study with a automotive customer of ours to analyze all of their um, movements mm -hmm. um, and there is so much that you can do. We, we were able to reduce 40% of their emissions just by optimizing the routes, by shifting modes from air to rail or to road. Um, so there is a lot we can do already now, uh, even if 40%. you... 40%. 40%. So you could reduce for one of your major clients 40% of emissions just by, by, optimizing. by optimizing the routes and the, the, the modes. Okay. Wow, that's quite impressive. So, so how far is this, I mean, normal analytics or do you need very advanced artificial intelligence to do this? And, and where are you in, in, in that area? It needs quite some sophisticated algorithms. Mm -hmm. um, and there are problems which are, uh, which are significantly complex mm -hmm. because you have to put a lot of yep. different things into perspective. On the example that I had earlier on, on the back holes, mm -hmm. you have to draw circles around areas. You start from here, you end here, and then you want to kind of do the, the reverse. Yep. And depending on how big you draw the circles of what could be potential routes that you want to match, yep. um, it, is, uh, it is significantly complex in terms of the algorithms you need to apply. Mm -hmm. So we are, that's probably one of the more sophisticated IT problems and technology use, utilization that I have in logistics right now. Many of the things are re reasonably simple mm -hmm. um, from, a, from a technology perspective, yeah. but some of it is now more so complex. So that means that you're investing more and more in, in, in data scientists then and, 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 and expertise in-house. Uh, and and it, does that sit within IT or does it sit in the business? Where, how is that organized? Yeah, I mean, the beauty of my role is that, uh, that I have both ops and, and yeah. IT, so I could say somewhere in, somewhere in my organization that is, that is true. Yeah. But, uh, but obviously, many of the, of the applications of the technology is happening at the call phase with the customers, understanding their specific needs. So mm -hmm. we have created a model where we are building a backbone that is operated by some data scientists and data engineers mm -hmm. who are making sure that the data products and the whole architecture of data is available for our users to use. But yeah. then you allow more decentral usage of that data. Nobody has to constantly then just going to build all the plumbing and, and data streams. Um, because they can rely that that has been done centrally already. Yeah. So that is what we have invested in and we are constantly investing in even more. Um, and uh, we're building a smaller team of central data scientists, mm -hmm. but then we would, we were planning to allow the organization to utilize the information. Okay. Because you, I mean, you work for a series of, of large companies, large clients, and you like to outsource supply chain for them. So, um, and so I understand that a lot of the solutions and the services that you provide to them are quite bespoke, are made to measure for, uh, for, for their, um, their challenges and, 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 and their business. So how easy is it then to, because you need to optimize in their supply chain. I mean, how, how easy is it 
to bring in the, the, the concept of data and data science in, in your customers' uh, businesses? I mean, that's a, um, that's a fair statement, but also sometimes a misconception that uh -huh. standardization and bringing data together is the opposite of a customized supply chain. Mm -hmm. We do believe that by bringing harmonized data structures into our operations, mm -hmm. Uh, we can deliver exactly what our customers are asking for, yep. having the most optimal solution, re reliable solution, something that has been tested and is, is kind of less risk if, they, mm -hmm. if, it, if it's constantly just uh, built from the scratch yep. for just one particular customer. So standardization is a topic which um, is at the forefront of many of the things that I've been doing over the last years as yep. a CIO and COO. And we are seeing the uh, the fruits um, mm -hmm. of that coming through right now, because especially on the data field, yeah. now we have uh, very harmonized structures. We have settled um, our strategic systems, which are operating the same way. And then the hard work of bringing data together is much easier than it used to be. Okay. So you have your own set of services, standardized services, uh, transportation management systems, and so on and so on, that then link each time with, with, with your clients and their ERP and, and systems. That's, That's right. right, yeah. Usually they operate their, their, um, their ERPs. Uh -huh. uh, they are sending us the orders that needs to be fulfilled, and then we do uh, the supply chain management in our systems. And that's something uh, which is happening more and more, that we indeed own and run the, the IT, yeah. because it's, we do this every day. Yeah. And, and we do this, we introduce... Uh, new supply chains 400 times a year um, mm -hmm. across the globe. Yep. So that's something that usually a, a company that does logistics and, and builds a new warehouse is only doing every 10 years yep. maybe. And it has risk every time you do yep. any type of introduction of a new service. And like that, you have economies of scale and you have enough expertise in-house to really optimize for each and every client throughout a, a, a global st quite standard system. That's right. that's okay, right. super. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, I mean, you're the CIO and COO, but I, I can imagine that you talk a lot with other CIOs as well, right? So how do you look at a digital leadership and how do you uh, see their role in general in driving the sustainability agenda? Because of course you're, the, you're responsible for ops, so it's, it's in your, um, um, uh, your core responsibility, but in general, do you think that CIOs play enough of a leading role in in, in uh, helping companies with their digi digital uh, uh, with their sustainability agenda? Um, I do. I do think they have a strong role to play, yeah. especially on the data part. Yeah. Um, is it is it enough? Uh, it could always be more. I do mm -hmm. believe that there is a lot of of efficiency we can drive. Yeah. If you think uh, generally on sustainability, years ago, I guess the number one was okay. We just do quote-unquote, green IT, but buying um, green electricity is a relatively simple thing yep. to do. Uh, I think that's not where the power mm -hmm. uh, of the CIO lies. Yep. It, does, it does lie in how can we better drive decision-making, how can we provide the right tools uh, for the users to make the right decisions yep. and, and to drive efficiencies. And that's something I think uh, the CIOs need to play a, sig a significantly more important role. Yeah, I think they need to do more than that in general that they, they uh, do today. Huh? So uh, your combination, and I understand you're uh, responsible for digital, for operations, but also for design of services. Is that correct? That's right. And so 
this combination of these, these three is quite special. I mean, I don't encounter, I, I speak to a lot of um, uh, top CIOs around uh, the globe and in Europe, but not many also have uh, grown into the role of, of COO and, and you have a CIO background. So how, what, what allowed you to take this step and also become responsible for ops? Yeah, I think um, when, when I was asked by the former CEO of the company whether I would be willing to take that on, mm -hmm. the thought process behind all of this was that in our business particularly, nothing, is with, nothing works without IT, yeah. but IT used to be also not closely enough connected with what's really happening in the supply chains, in the operations, yeah. in the warehouse. So bringing that closer together and ensuring that whatever we build in IT has a high usability mm -hmm. is something that can be used in its optimal in a warehouse or in a transport yeah. management system was the idea behind it. So, and I have a passion for something that actually works. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think um, there is there is always a need to explain uh, why a new technology is not only the, the next nice shiny toy, yep. but something that drives value for the organization. Uh, that's where I think the credibility came from to say, this is something that we should bring together. And we used to have smaller fights between ops and IT, whose fault it was. Now, ultimately- It's your fault. It's my fault. <laughs> It's always, some, if something goes wrong, it's, it's either ops or IT, but regardless, it will yeah. end up at one, at one place. And okay. uh, with that, some of the excuses are gone, uh -huh. um, and it helped us a lot to drive, for example, that standardization, because mm -hmm. IT cannot drive standardization on their own. Yep. They always need somebody who's actually willing to take yep. it on. And that's that what I was able to do and, and to then explain to the operations people, okay, you really need to utilize technology more. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, so that's how, how it, how it yeah. came together. How and, you marry and, now, and now with, with the solution design, mm -hmm. so we see some of the robots here around us, um, it's something that we have to build at the start of a new operation mm -hmm. already. Not, not trying then to... Um, to retrofit, yeah. it's always suboptimal. We can do a lot mm -hmm. these days with collaborative robots, yeah. and we can do a lot with data analytics, but if you build it more optimal from the start, yeah. then you have a much better starting point. So and I've built, yeah. a, I've built, a, together with the team, obviously, a tool which we call Merlin, like the, uh, mm -hmm. like the, uh, the, the guy, <laughs> yes, uh, where we are connecting from the start of building a supply chain solution, then operating it and the IT, the way that we, that we, that we run the IT. It's, yeah. all, it's all baked into one system mm -hmm. uh, where we design the solution, operate and run. So what's the, the future vision? Where are we going to be in 20 years? But all fully automated warehouses, all self-driving trucks, and, and all robots that load and unload uh, the, uh, the, the complete supply chain? Now we believe that there, there will always be um, a combination of people mm -hmm. and bots. And that has been the winning formula for us. Yep. Uh, what I always say is we as human beings, we, we are very good at complex tasks, mm -hmm. but we're not very good at repetitive tasks. Yep. And the robots are the other way around. So yeah. if you want to do something, just take this glass and put it somewhere. It's, 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 um, it's, it's relatively simple for us to do, but it took a long time for robots yeah. uh, to achieve that task. But the combination of the two, and we have many tasks which are very repetitive, which are very heavy, heavy work, yeah. uh, long walking distances in, in warehouses. We have yeah. huge warehouses. Yeah. 
millions of square feet where the, the walking distances are just uh, very, very strenuous to our people. Yeah. And to take this away and, move and do, do, let this do by bots is something that has helped us a lot. Also to attract more people. Because right now, we can't barely find enough people to work even in, in the warehouses. Even in the warehouses. Oh, wow. Yes. So robots are a really big thing here, is, yes. is correct? We believe strongly in collaborative robots. But as long as they don't take over the world, then. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and that's uh, the role for me as a CIO to make sure that they, they stay in their box. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit more about the, um, the different technologies and, and, and the role that they play in, in, um, in achieving the sustainability objectives and, and, and the plans that we have. And maybe let's first talk about uh, everything that has to do with the technology integration, with purchase, with recycling equipment and, and so on. So, I mean, IT itself, uh, so there's, there's quite asset heavy as well. Uh, and, and, and so in many, many organizations now have a clear uh, cloud first or they have a 100% cloud strategy. What is your vision for the cloud here at uh, DHL? So we have had a cloud first strategy for a number of years. And mm -hmm. I could say that especially on our backend operations, mm -hmm. uh, we are, we've moved completely to the cloud. Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that is our ERP systems, our HR systems, our CRM systems, okay. all, of, all of this is, is running um, from the, from the crowd, cl cloud right now. Mm -hmm. When it comes to supply chain execution systems, mm -hmm. uh, which require very kind of uh, low latencies mm -hmm. and huge um, um, availability and res resiliency, yeah. Um, some of the partners that we work with are not yet um, uh, on their cloud journey where uh, I think it's going to end. Um, so we still operate many of our uh, warehouse management, transport management systems like anyone does actually yeah. around the world um, in, uh, in our um, own data centers, very reliable. Yeah. Um, and we are seeing now the first um, applications on smaller sites where, where we can move that to the cloud as well. But if you look at some of our sites, uh, which are highly automated mm -hmm. um, and collaborative robots, many different things that need to interplay. It's something where the cloud is uh, probably kind of at this um, kind of second phase right now, but okay. it's, it's not yet uh, fully mature. So that's something where we still have. And this latency work. problem, you see that this is going to be solved in the future, or you still think there needs to be like computing power locally in, in the warehouses? There will be still some edge computing yeah. um, at the site, for sure, yeah. uh, for some of the applications. But I do believe the um, the logic can can run in the, in the cloud. Mm -hmm. But it needs uh, good reliability on networks, yeah. uh, which is something uh, where I still see some room for improvement. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something which we're carefully watching that space, and that's something which yeah. we still have to... Uh, Drive to conclusion. Well, o OT uh, of, of uh, IT is important, but IoT is of course a, a big, big thing here as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Where are you in your on the roadmap to uh, to have tagged every parcel or every thing that goes through the supply chain? Here? Yeah, we built our own uh, IoT platform for the group, uh -huh. and we're seeing many, many more applications. You, might, you actually see even RFID coming back. Mm -hmm. Things that we've worked uh, talked about probably like 20 years ago already, mm -hmm. but finally we see some uh, major breakthroughs, particularly in the fashion industry, um, but also in, in some other industries where RFID is coming back. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, uh, tagging 
tracking all of the movements of assets that we have in, yeah. in our supply chain is something that we have now in the um, hundreds of thousands. So we're seeing that kind of billions of devices are, are connected. Um, we have roller cages in our operations where things are moved um, and uh, we tag them all um, and I can now detect where these roller cages where I mean some of them are pretty expensive 400 and more euros per, per roller cage yeah. and uh, you're very surprised where, where these roller cages are occasionally ending up in, yeah. in what backyard <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's something that we um, that we have utilized quite a bit to optimize as yeah. well of uh, where things are and uh, and how we can how we can further drive it so but but i think iot is going to be a big big driver for us to have the data readily available at every moment in time when you think about um, the vaccine distribution you mm -hmm. mentioned that i mean we have sensors uh, that ensure that the temperature control for two and a half billion vaccine distribution across the planet were always uh, right where it needed to be. Yeah. So uh, in every box, I showed that earlier to you, yeah. in every box we have a little sensor um, that is then ensuring that the temperature has always been in the, in the right range. Yeah. Um, and that's something which is standard. Yeah. something which we only were able to do with that technology now if the pandemic had, had hit us 10 years earlier it would have been much much more complicated absolutely so that means that because iot is, is exploding that you also have an explosion of data then in in, in, in in your data centers or in the cloud so that's right so uh, so how do you manage that because i mean there must be exponential growth of of, uh, of data in the business here is that a problem or that's it's not a problem. I don't see it as a, as a major um, um, issue right now, but obviously we need more storage. We need more, more compute power yep. um, every day, but that's where I think um, the development of the data centers of our cloud providers yep. are coming in very, very handy. It's uh, almost unlimited in terms of the capacity that, yep. that, we, that we have available to us. So we make use of that, yep. and that's something which is very important. To and us. we believe that the cloud providers can be run their data centers more sustainable than maybe we could do ourselves in some organizations. But you also are conscious about I mean, the explo uh, explosion of data, that data storage is, is, has an impact on the environment as well. I mean, overall compute, electricity uh, usage, 4% of global electricity goes to IT. And so the more we, we um, store data and, and, and the more we have inefficient code and so on, the more this is going to grow. So, so are you conscious? Are you working on that as well? Yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to watch that space, obviously. Mm -hmm. I do believe that particularly electricity is something that that can be um, and needs to be produced um, in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. And many of the cloud providers, I've just visited one just last month, um, are moving many of their facilities close to where also the electricity production is available, either with wind or solar. Um, so I think that's something that we have to continuously kind of put into the equation as well and, mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that we take this into consideration. But um, if we are building code that's inefficient, that takes kind of significantly too much, yeah. Uh, compute power. Um, that's something which we see also in the bill every time that it comes along. So it, it does make commercial sense as well yeah. as, as sustainability sense yeah. um, to optimize the code. Now, optimizing code, optimizing applications means also that we have to look at our legacy and, and the technical depth that we have built up as, as organizations over the year. 
over the years. Where would you say that you are here in DHL supply chain with, with, with managing your legacy? And, and, and uh, I mean, you, you said you moved already a lot to the cloud. Is this just lift and shift or are you, uh, I mean, are you replacing to more modern systems? Talk a little bit about the no. management of legacy. Yeah, no, we, we, we are taking the opportunity at the moment that we touch um, an application, we're taking the opportunity to modernize and bring this into a modern tech stack. Yeah. So that's, um, for the years, supply chain has been developed as a business which has grown by acquisitions. Mm -hmm. That's that's how this all started yeah. and partially even uh, just utilizing um, the um, kind of cheaper labor. Uh, yeah. I think that those days are gone. Mm -hmm. Now it's all about um, having the right tools, having the right processes yeah. available to us. Um, and so we've invested a lot in defining the target state. Mm -hmm. um, I have a register of all of the IT systems that, that we that we operate yeah. um, and the roadmap behind it to say this is going to be end of life yeah. and we have to replace it. We have to modernize this into a new tech stack. Yeah. And that's we're never just kind of bringing and encapsulating and containerizing an old tech stack and then mm -hmm. hope the best <laughs> for it. That's not going to that's yeah. not going to work. I think, especially with the data that we were talking about earlier, it's yeah. important that we take the opportunity yeah. to modernize and then utilize the new algorithms for a system. So that's sometimes the worst mistake you can make is just um, taking an old system and then try in a new system to mimic what you've done in the past. Yeah. Um, it ends up very suboptimal. It mm -hmm. usually doesn't work very well. Um, and it needs a lot of hand-holding. So um, re-architecting re um, at the same time, but also looking at every single process is important uh, so that you take the advantages. Can you give us a little bit of a picture of what, what the main suppliers are that you're working with for ERP, for CRM, for HR, for, for cloud? Yeah, so on the um, on the back end, uh, ERP, um, um, the, contrary to the rest of the group, who's a big SAP user, we mm -hmm. are on Oracle. Okay. Um, so we are in the Oracle cloud for our finance and HR systems. Mm -hmm. uh, we are utilizing, um, I guess, the big players in the CRM space mm -hmm. <laughs> that you would imagine. Uh, but when it comes to supply chain management, there are two Gartner metric quadrant players uh, on the warehousing side, which are dominating the market for many, many years. Okay. We're working with both of them, um, and that will be Manhattan Associates and uh, Blue Yonder. Um, very strong partner of us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, depending on the sometimes industry that we work in or preference of our customers, we would use one or the other. And uh, there's also a little bit of a difference in terms of the globe uh, where those two partners are, are, um, are evident. And when it comes to transportation, uh, we're using a, a set of tools, but at the back end is uh, the Oracle Transport Management. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about security because if you have huge... Uh, data and, and you're linked to, um, to critical processes for, for your clients um, and your very well-known brand security must be a major, major uh, focus here. Talk us a little bit through what's happening on that front. Yeah, number one, if you look at the most used company for phishing, mm -hmm. that's DHL. Okay. So uh, we're not very proud of that, but it's a fact. <laughs> so that, that is, is when, um, when you as, a, as an end customer are receiving a fake email that says, here is your package, yeah. do you want to pick it up? So, um, but that's just a, that's a side uh, story, obviously, mm -hmm. of us. But we are 
we're a victim, or no, not a victim, we're, we're a target of attacks every day. Um, and we are investing heavily into IT security. It's, in fact, one of the top 10 investment areas uh, of the group right now um, of where we are putting mm -hmm. our money. And it's very important for us, um, obviously, make sure that every element of our uh, network and applications are properly patched and insured. But we also put a lot of effort into uh, educating our user base because yeah. number one um, target entry and target vector for any type of um, attacks is usually an yeah. end user mm -hmm. uh, that is not very um, careful with passwords or any type of um, of, of phishing attacks. So yeah. that's something uh, we are we're putting a lot of effort in, in training everyone into those solutions as well. Okay. Now, if, if we look at the... Um and the three scopes of carbon emission, if you have the, the, the internal, the direct, the indirect, but then you also have the upstream and the downstream. So if, if we talk about the ecosystem that you're in, uh, at the clients that you work with and the suppliers that you work with, how, how do you work with in that ecosystem around sustainability? Are there, uh, is there a lot of demand from your clients that, that uh, uh, demand certain standards or, or levels of sustainability and, and do you pass that on to your suppliers as well? Talk us a little bit through sustainability in a complex ecosystem that you're in. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a an area which is not clearly defined yet when okay. it comes to standards of, um, of of what you can offer. So that's why we are now building our Go Green products, mm -hmm. uh, but we have very clear definitions of what we offer to the market. Yeah. And it comes with a premium mm -hmm. uh, because none of that uh, investments into sustainability comes for free, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so that's something uh, which we have very well structured when it comes to um, our warehousing, carbon-free warehousing, when it comes to our, our road transport, mm -hmm. uh, where we have uh, complete um, 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 carbon-free um, solutions available to us. Yep. Um, and some of them are not yet available, but we are we're, we're driving this very strongly. So the demand from our customers is starting to come in very strongly. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do then look at all of our carriers as well. Not all of the, the, the road transport we do, we do ourselves. We have a lot of carriers. Yeah. We have a lot of partners that we work with. So we've started a certification process yeah. to look at every single of those uh, carriers that we work with to understand what are they operating. Mm -hmm. Are they on the latest technology? Um, uh, have they already started to invest into any type of um, alternative fuels mm -hmm. uh, so that we can make very um, conscious decisions of whom do we, whom do we use for yep. which type of transportation. And that is something that we are seeing um, meets with a lot of demand in the market right now. There's a very, very high interest. And if we can show this with something that actually you can touch and feel that there is yep. indeed a, a sustainable truck uh, that is entering your, um, your premises, that's something that many customers are proud of and they want to touch and feel it. And I, I can imagine, I mean, you play such a crucial role. I mean, you're um, uh, almost like a spider in, in, in the web of, of, uh, of, of logistics that the more you demand that from, from your suppliers that has a trickle-down effect that, that could be amazing. You said that you're in, investing seven billion uh, over um, a time span of, what is it, eight, nine years or so. Where is this money going and, and what percentage of that uh, would you say is going into uh, digital and optimizing in IT? 
Yeah. Um, so this is 100% uh, going into into concrete measures that are reducing our carbon footprint. On in addition to that, to throw up another another significant number, we're investing two billion um, into digital solution. Um, over, in addition, okay. in, in addition over the next two years. So that's something which is which is still happening at the same time until 2025. So um, digital is a core um, area where we're investing. Uh, but the whole investment to sustainable fuels, the investment into um, electric vehicles, into biogas uh, partners. That's the is seven billion. It's the seven billion. And so the two billion that you spend. <laughs> In the next two years, where is, where is that going? That's 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 across the whole uh, ecosystem um, of digital solution that we're building into. Right now, I mean, you've seen the robots where we are investing quite heavily. I'm building a digital twin for supply chain. That's investment, uh, which is important because if you there are many questions in logistics which you have to play through in a what if scenario. If I do certain things differently, what effect would that have? Is the throughput still there? And that's something where we are very excited about the possibility of building a digital twin of a full supply chain and then talk it through with our customers. Okay, if you do the following, then the, the effect would be X, Y, and Z. Okay. So many, many of the things that we're investing in uh, would be bots, would be, would be data, would be data scientists, would be those digital twin solutions and NIT security at the, as well. So. I mean, it sounds super. I mean, you have the best job in the world. No, I, I do have the best job in the world. I always say that. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. So let's talk a little bit how you would compare DHL with other companies in, in the world in, in, uh, in, in logistics, supply chain. Where do you think you are compared to the competitors? I mean, you already started 2008. Are you, are you leading the pack? Are you, are you in front? Are you somewhere in the middle? And, and, and how would you measure uh, and, and benchmark yourself against other um, logistics players? Yeah, I would, uh, I would probably not um, start to, um, to do any type of, of discussion around where, where others are. Mm -hmm. We are concentrating on the, on the impact on the planet that we are having. Yep. Um, and that is something which requires a lot of effort, a lot of time. We're measuring every single electric vehicle that we put into our mm -hmm. fleet. 60% um, of our last mile will be electric by 2030. Uh, we are investing into all of the solutions that are on the mid and the, the, uh, the longer um, term trucks. And, and we're investing into sustainable fuels for our airplanes. Yep. Um, and obviously every single airplane um, that is more efficient in the way that we are that we are operating it uh, makes already a significant impact. So that's okay. where the money is spent. Markus, let's talk about your um, IT organization uh, and because um, it's one of your responsibilities. Um, you said 600,000 people in, in DHL, 140,000 in supply chain. Give us a little bit uh, a view on how big IT is a number of people and budgets or whatever, so that we have a bit of a context and then uh, explain a little bit what the IT operating model is of the DHL group. Yeah, okay. So um, number one, I think, fact that needs to be explained of how we're organized as an IT organization is that we have what they call a demand supply split. So okay. all of the operating divisions, Express, DGF, um, e-commerce, um, as well as the post, they have, and, and, and then supply chain, we have CIOs who are driving the needs, who are driving the demands, understanding what the customers want, yep. 
uh, and are building solution. And we all use the services of our global business services division, IT services. Yep. So we have 5,000 people in IT services that are working for, for all parts yeah. okay. of the group. In my own organization, supply chain, I have around 1,800 people mm -hmm. who are supply chain specialists, okay. supply chain IT specialists, yep. building solutions, running solutions in the supply chain. Okay. The reason, you, you explained the reason why you're also uh, responsible for ops, is that it, the marriage of IT and ops is so important to optimize and create efficiency. So, so how does that translate um, also that you are now running more in, in a DevOps way and more around uh, products and services and less around projects? Um, th that's a side effect as well, mm -hmm. but, but maybe we go one level deeper in terms of our IT organization. So yes. we're still, I would say, traditionally organized in mm -hmm. a sense that we have, I have CIOs in each region. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're operating in Latin America, North America, Europe and UK and then mm -hmm. in Asia. I have a CIO. But then I also have people who have global responsibilities for our centers of excellences. So where we are designing the solutions that will be utilized in the regions. Yep. And in many um, respects, I'm also giving cabinet responsibilities to the CIOs in the regions to, to drive a global agenda. Mm -hmm. It usually helps yep. for them to understand uh, sometimes the challenges to drive a topic globally. Yep. And it also then increases the um, willingness to occasionally adopt something um, that somebody else has, has, mm -hmm. has done. So uh, that model has worked really well. But indeed, we are moving to in significantly a higher proportion to agile developments. Mm -hmm. Many of the solutions that we are about to build or we're building right now, they have no precedent. There is, they are not existing yet on the market. I talked about the digital twin earlier. That's, that's a program that there is, is not invented yet. And uh, utilizing a agile development there and trialing out new things yep. are absolutely crucial. And I think without any alternative, that's how we need to operate them. And then, and then running them also in a DevOps way. So okay. in together with our IT services colleagues in that GBS function, we are much more responsive than also to these new ways of working. Okay, so you have uh, the global business services, 5,000 people for the group. Then you have some central services and, 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 and teams in supply chain. And then you have the local CIOs that then also take the lead in a couple of the important innovative projects. Like That's right. That. Some, some things are tested out in Germany, some in the UK and, 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 and so on. That's right. So what is the, what is one of the maybe most exciting programs that, that your CIOs are working on today that, that you, and it can be a small thing that you say, well, this is really something sexy, what we're doing, uh, something uh, really, really cool. Yeah, I, th I think where I am very excited is is around the topic of digital twin. Okay. Um, it has a huge applicability in our space. Mm -hmm. Every time that you do in a in a physical supply chain infrastructure, you do it, you introduce a change. It mm -hmm. introduces risk. Yeah, the, the the smallest thing of of rearranging a warehouse 
or introducing a new process or just rearranging the racks and say, okay, I'm going to put a certain product closer or mm -hmm. further away from the picking area. It's, it introduces risk and it, it uses a lot of work. Yeah. And in order to play through of those what-if scenarios or what would the world look like, or if today we have 10 percent less people at work. Yeah. What happens? Are we still able to deliver the demands of our customers? It's yeah. something that usually requires the, the knowledge of the people that have been operating this yeah. for 10 years, but sometimes we don't have these anymore. So having that knowledge built into a digital twin is something I'm so very... So you can do simulations and, yes. and stuff like that. Okay. So you have a, like a kind of a federated model, central services, CIOs in the different um, uh, regions. So how would you describe your role? And your CIO role. What is it that in your CIO role you are you spend most of your time on today? It, it's the usual answer. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but there is there's a lot of uh, time that I that I am spending in defining the strategy going forward, the future, mm -hmm. yep. and exciting the organization on that journey. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's one of my probably most important roles. Um, that I define the future yeah. um, and I excite the organization to go on that journey. Mm -hmm. The one thing I hate the most is uh, standing still. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's where I spend a lot of time. Obviously, we talked about IT security. We talked about day-to-day -day crisis management. Yeah. Some of that is, is part of my day job as well. So that's why I said it depends. It, 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 it does depend on the, yeah. on the time of the day. Um, but my most important and critical role is to drive the vision, to drive the strategy, and understand uh, of how I can excite the organization yep. to uh, to join that journey. A couple of years ago, I, um, I I went on stage when we just launched a new strategy, and and it was all about articulating the vision and creating a movement, yep. creating the belief that the new supply chains are are possible, and that's something which will not come overnight. Mm -hmm. And we will see some drawbacks at times. Not every solution that we are building right now is going to be successful. But, but the whole digital transformation journey we started was based on the premise, let's do things that work. And don't do hundreds of and, and thousands of little pilots yep. and, and experiments, mm -hmm. but, but utilize our scale and, and do this for things that we have seen are, are working. And that's, that's my, my biggest role that I constantly explain. These are the solutions that work. We have to apply yep. them in mass quantity. So an important role is, is really your leadership role, creating the vision, setting out the future and, and getting people excited to, uh, to follow you. So if I would go around and ask the people in, in your teams, because I want to get to know you as a person a little bit better, how do you think they would describe you? What is the, how do you think that you are perceived as a leader? What is it that they would say about you when you're not around? Okay. Um, I would say number one is that I am, I'm known for being interested in in many things, mm -hmm. it comes probably also as as a side effect of the role that I have many many things that I have to yeah. deal with, from safety to um, to IT security to uh, many many topics. Uh, but I am I'm I mean I am I'm really um, eager to understand the details of many of those topics. Mm -hmm. 
um, and it's uh, it's something that, I, that 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 drives me. Okay. Unlearning more and then creating and, and synthesizing what I've understood and learned mm -hmm. into a vision, into a strategy. And I think the passion of explaining that strategy is something that would probably be mentioned. <laughs> um, that this is something that that uh, I guess we are um, seeing, and I'm not only kind of blowing my own horn here. I do think uh, it's been recognized from Gartner in a recent uh, metric quadrant uh, that we are seen as the most innovative company uh, in the supply chain uh, business. Um, so that is something uh, which is obviously not my own work, but no. it's part of my, my work that we have been doing as a team. Um, and that's something which I think many people are proud of that, uh, that we have achieved this. And I'm personally proud of that as well. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the company culture and, 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 and the management style. So, I mean, you um, manage a big organization. What is the management style that you are expecting from your direct reports? How do you want them to lead their teams and make their teams successful? Yeah, I think a collaborative management style is what I am living and I'm expecting also from, from my team. We're a huge organization and you have to listen to, to your, your teams as well. Yep. And, and being stubborn uh, on this is this the way it needs to be done is usually uh, the recipe for disaster. So yep. I think constantly um, having that dialogue and, and, and listening into the organization mm -hmm. and then course correcting if necessary um, and having that team and collaborative approach is what I'm expecting from my team. Yeah. Um, the the world of uh, of just demand and uh, command, or, or, or command and control <laughs> is 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 over. At least yeah. it doesn't work in such a huge yeah. organization, which is which is also which has grown as a decentralized organization. Yeah. And and we have uh, lived very very positively on on the fact that we have this more collaborative, yeah. 21st century leadership style. Now. This is really a global organization, right? You're, you're around the world. So, so the international aspect, the diversity just of the cultural diversity must be amazing. How easy is it, is it for you to manage this, this, this global, this international, multicultural uh, environment? It's one of the things that I love most about my job. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have the... Um, the great honor to be around the world quite quite a bit mm -hmm. um, maybe not in covid times but it's starting to to uh, to, to creep back, back <laughs> to creep back quite a bit um, but uh, but working with the different cultures understanding the needs um, of, of the people and also the markets are very different yeah. is something uh, that that we have done very successfully and we have local leaders in in almost every every market so this this idea um, that we are really part of that community is something yeah. that's something that we have done very very successfully we usually don't don't send uh, an expat into into all parts of the world. Um, we have a much more localized, know your local business type of approach, and um, and I'm I'm very um, fortunate and, and and lucky to be able to to work with those leaders in those markets and see the differences and then adopt my my style as well. Let's talk a little bit more about you because I, I I'm convinced. My personal conviction is that. Your success is linked to how your brain is wired, how you think your, your values and so on. So uh, you have shared with us your MBTI uh, personality type and you are an executive, an ESTJ. And these are people with extroverted, observant, 
thinking and judging personality traits. And, and they typically possess great fortitude. They empathically follow their own sensible judgment and they often serve as a stabilizing force among others and able to offer solid direction amidst, uh, uh, amid adversity. So I'm gonna uh, give you a couple of typical strengths of the uh, ESTJ and you tell me if you recognize yourself and where yes and where no. So an executive is typically very dedicated, strong-willed, direct and honest, loyal, patient, reliable, they enjoy creating order, and they are excellent organizers. You're, does that fit the bill, yes or no? I think in principle it fits the bill pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, I, when, you, when you think about the ESTJ, the, the first one around uh, direction and probably also be extrovert and, mm -hmm. and um, kind of leading an organization, be, be happy among, yeah. amongst people, it's probably something I developed over time. Okay. Um, it doesn't always come come natural to me, yep. but sitting on a stage like this or speaking in front of thousands of people, it is something natural. something that uh, required a little bit of work. But yeah. but I enjoy the moment when I do it. Okay. Um, I do enjoy it. So, and creating creating order is probably hardwired in my brain. <laughs> that's that's what you learn as a scientist to mm -hmm. to look at a complex problem. Them, yep. dissect it in, in smaller parts and then kind of work it one yep. by one and ensure that there is uh, progress made. Yep. Would you also say that that is, I mean, we're all given um, uh, good things by mother nature. So what would you say is your biggest gift? What is your characteristic that you're most happy with that you got that from nature? Curiosity mm -hmm. and passion probably okay. so it's i mean curiosity is definitely something i am i'm very easily excited on new things um I, I i love to learn new things and and then understand them to a level that i can yep. that i can explain more so properly and then turn this into something uh, which delivers benefit for the organization benefit more for my team so but curiosity is is probably the one thing that that will always be there i'm i i'm i just love to learn new things i, I look at new things and, and if i don't understand them i will i will read as much and 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 i guess try to educate myself as much as possible so that i can make sense out of it okay now let's look at the flip side of the uh, estj because nobody's perfect and we all have our development areas, our weaknesses. So potential weaknesses of um, uh, people with your personality is that they are, can be inflexible or stubborn, um, that they are sometimes uncomfortable with unconventional situations. They can be judgmental. They can be too focused on social status. Sometimes they have difficulty to relax or difficulty to express emotions. What are your development areas and how, how have you grown in them and what do you do to, to professionally and personally uh, develop yourself? So the one thing that uh, I guess sticks from what you just said is probably uh, difficult to relax. Yeah. That is something that I definitely I need to uh, make a special effort in. Mm -hmm. Um, it's you, there's hardly any downtime for me. Um, mm -hmm. the work starts very early and some, something has happened in Australia or APAC, yeah. um, uh, and, and it, it starts, it ends very late. Um, so that's something, uh, that I occasionally, I have to, um, really work hard to, mm -hmm. to ensure in my daily routine 
that there is da- there is downtime yeah. as well, uh, either with my wife or uh, I guess play a, a short round of tennis or something. But that's something that I have to make an extra effort. Otherwise, I think there is a danger that I would yeah. end up working 24-7. So that's something uh, I w- would definitely have to work on. When it comes to stubbornness, um, I guess it, it, it could happen. Um, I am strong-willed and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and do make up my mind. And if there are new things coming up, I, I uh, have to make sure that I do listen to the arguments and, uh, yeah. and not be, uh, not be too, uh, too narrow-minded on, on certain areas. Or too judgmental on looking down on people. Okay. That could happen. So, Marcus, what are the, the core values that you live by? And what are, I mean, you shared with us that you have um, three girls, three daughters, what, 22, 2012, and uh, now, so, so growing up fast, I can imagine. What are the values that you have passed on to your children? The most important values that um, I always hold up is, is honesty. Mm-hmm. And I guess a level of, I would say maybe a level of freedom. Um, that's something which is important important to me and I guess to them as well. Uh, when it comes to honesty, I think we all make mistakes. Um, they make mistakes, I make mistakes every day. But then we have to live up to the things that we have been doing and not try to uh, deflect and, and put it on someone else. Uh, then we have to stand by it and, and fix it. And that's something which is very important to me. I, I cannot stand dishonesty. Uh, that makes me uh, a little bit angry at times. Um, and, uh, but, but, I, but I do I have, um, both in my leadership style as also with my children, I let them experiment. They have to have that level of freedom to find their own ways, um, like I did a chemist to a logistician. It's, it's maybe not the straight line that everybody would draw, but, but I found uh, my way, and I think they, uh, they will find their ways as, as well in, in experimenting. So that's something which is, I think, important for us. And I guess overall, as a, as a society, I, 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 I do believe in that very strongly as well, that, um, that we thrive in, in, in the world that I live in uh, by the level of, of freedom that, that we are giving. And it's, it's uh, important to defend. Marcus, I understand that your spouse, your wife, also works at DHL and that she works in sustainability. So is at the kitchen table in the evening, is sustainability a topic in, in the household? Yes, yeah, she's, she's the green lady at the household, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I mean, it is, it, I think it has to be a topic in every household. Um, and, and we all can do, even in, in the small areas of our of our homes we can do work whether that is uh, the way that we kind of deal with um i guess the trash or or we uh, we we look at the amount of uh of uh, beef and and any type of uh, animals uh, we, we're consuming i mean there's many things that we can do um and um and looking at the consumptions that we have i'm i'm, I'm probably the one who is uh, who's constantly experimenting in the household to introduce new ways of, uh, of, of um, u- u- using IoT devices to optimize the, the way that we are dealing with uh, electricity. Obviously, I have the luxury of having solar panels on the rooftop for seven years already, when it was, when it was already uh, something which, uh, which really had a 10, 10, back, uh, 10 years payback. But, but in, in optimizing the way it's been utilized in the household is something I've introduced. Sometimes there's more success, sometimes there's less. 
Um, and I, I learned that, that on that way that you always have to have the uh, usability in mind. It could be the greatest solution that you are starting to create uh, technically, uh, but if it's, uh, if it's unusable or it has a, a bad usability factor, in my household, it's usually not accepted. <laughs> and then I have to experiment again. Marcus, who are the, I mean, you made quite a career. I mean, global CIO, CEO of, of such a huge organization. So you must have had very good mentors, people that coached you, that helped you to grow as a professional. So are they one or two that you could mention, people that you really look up to or that have mentored you to become so successful? Yeah, I mean, um, over the years, I've had many, many great leaders that I uh, was uh, lucky to work with. Maybe if I, if I pick out one or two um, or three, then I would say the one person that used to be my predecessor, um, he actually, he has probably spotted my talent. Mm -hmm. um, and what I admired about him was his, his intellectual capacity, capability, uh, the way that he was able to look at the entirety of the problems at hand and really dissect the problems with a laser sharp mind. Um, and I have had many lessons with him um, and, and really started to adopt more of that thinking. So something which further shaped my decision making. The next one was the person that I, meant, uh, that I mentioned earlier, was the, the former CEO who has asked me to, uh, to take over Ops and IT. Yeah. And when I've spent a lot of time with him in our operations, and what I admired the most about him and this leadership style was he knew every single person in any operations. He, has to, he, he went there and he shook hands and he spoke to people. And next day we were at the same site. He would remember every uh, small items of how the family is. And, and it, makes, it makes such a big impact if you spend the time to talk to people, understand their background, what is driving them, what is important for them. Yeah. Um, and this very personal trait, I think, is something that we all have to uh, have to utilize more to understand also the people behind the work that is happening every day. The current boss that I have is very commercial. I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing how, how well he um, can excite our customers, how well we, we, can, we can work with them. Something that I, that I as a, it's, it's not my everyday work to, um, to sell solutions. It's not, it's not what, I, uh, what I'm, I'm here for. I have to make sure that the engine works. <laughs> but there's a lot that I can learn there. Marcus, do you have a personal mantra, a saying that helps you uh, in your life? If, if the one thing that comes to my mind would be probably every day a little better. Um, so I think we can constantly improve ourselves, the work that we do. And that's something we are, uh, we are trying to utilize in, in our first choice uh, initiatives where we have... Uh, we have things like Gemba walks, we go through the warehouse, we go through our operations and, and observe what can be done better and then follow up and make sure that things are actually next day I come around. I want to see that things have, have, have improved. So I do think there is still so much we can do to drive, uh, to drive more applicability, to drive more sustainable solutions as well, uh, but things that just work. And then I come to my favorite question in these uh, interviews, and that is, Marcus, would you care to share what is your most brilliant failure? Because we learn from our failures. We all make mistakes, and some are, some are huge and some are small, but and some are really brilliant uh, because we can learn something uh, nice out of it. Could you maybe share one of these? 
Okay, and then let me share a story that has happened not so long ago. Um, we have been very passionate and successful in driving our cloud strategy. And one of the elements that we have brought into the cloud was our time and attendance systems that we're using when people come to work in the morning and that they clock out in the morning when they go, uh, in the evening when they go home. Yeah, 140,000 people. 140,000 people. And believe it or not, but their, their, their pay is obviously dependent on, on the time uh, that they spend in our operations. Yeah. So we were very successfully very proud that we've moved everything to the cloud. And from one day to another, that company that we worked with was fallen victim to a cybersecurity incident. And from one moment to another, 140,000 clocks around the world didn't work anymore. Or not the clocks, I mean, there was yeah. a, a, a couple of thousand clocks, but, but people were not able um, to lock, to, time, to lock yeah. time in. Yeah. So the wonderful cloud strategy fall into pieces. Yeah. And we had to improvise from one moment to another. And I think, I thought, I had planned every scenario of what could happen yeah. if a certain system that we use every day would not be available to us. Yeah. But that one was not part of the business continuity plan. Yeah. The one thing I did learn actually is business continuity plans are good and important, but they, they use constantly have to improvise sometimes as well, no. or think even more. So anyway, we, uh, we were um, having to record uh, those times on piece of paper and Excel spreadsheets, and, uh, and then... Um, so you learned that you were over dependent a, on, on your cloud providers then? Uh, we were dependent on, on the cloud provider. We were also, uh, I also learned that Cloud doesn't mean cloud. You also have to look behind the curtain yeah. of how it's been operated. Yeah. Uh, there was no backup available. Well, and it took us about two months to come back online yeah. uh, on that particular yeah. piece. We were, there were no time lost and, and customers still served, but, yeah. uh, but we had many, many people who had many hours of overtime um, to, uh, to somehow kind of live through that time. Yeah. But, but we are now looking very carefully, very specifically at the procedures of every of our providers of how they do the work and also on our own. And look at every process again, again, of what else are we dependent on. Marcus, maybe on a more personal level, what would you say is the, is the best thing that has ever happened to you? Um, Meeting my wife. <laughs> so I have a wonderful wife. Um, we have three wonderful um, girls that I'm very proud of. And I think the partnership that I have with my wife, we're married now for 23 years, um, is just phenomenal. And, yep. and we are true, I, I believe we're true partners. And, and that is, is very important for my professional um, life at the same time. I, yep. I wouldn't be functional without a, a good setup at, at home. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and we are, yes, we're both working. We're both even working for DHL. Um, so you have to find ways of, of giving that freedom to each yep. other um, to operate successfully. So, but but that's, uh, that's been the best thing that ever happened to me. And I can imagine many other good things that happened to you, but maybe on the flip side of that, what is, uh, would you care to share what is maybe one of the worst things 
that it happened in your personal life, how you survived that, what you learned from it? At the age of 14, mm -hmm. I lost my sister. So it's a, obviously a very, uh, very close, very close person in my life. And for a period of time, I refused to talk about it. I refused to let anyone near it. I, when somebody asked me that question, do you have siblings? Mm -hmm. I would probably even ignore it and, and say no, uh, because after that, I was an only child. Oh, yeah. um, and it took me a long time, probably after I, I met my wife and, and, and we married, that I started to open up more about this topic and how what it did to me mm -hmm. for a period of time. We mentioned uh, the ESTJ, uh, Maya Briggs type. Yeah. I was I was probably moving bit significantly more into that introvert yeah. type of an individual, and and only after after I opened up more, I started to also enjoy more the engagement, and then and now it's not a a problem to to talk about it anymore, but. Losing this very strong relationship to a relative was a big, big influence in my life. And a big impact. A big impact. And, and, and because I lost my North Star. Yeah. My, my sister was uh, great in everything she did. And, mm -hmm. and I, uh, I admired her and I wanted to be as, as her yeah. uh, in, in many things that she did. And, and only when when I surpassed the age that she uh, that she had, when the incident happened, I I had I had to find my own way, because there was no uh, no uh, no picture anymore that I yeah. could follow. Marcus, the last question of this uh, interview that I highly appreciated. Uh, so thank you for uh, for your openness and uh, for sharing your uh, your vision on all different aspects. Is these videos are watched by ambitious future digital leaders. I want to uh, become global CIO of, of, of big organizations. So what is the advice that you would give to this uh, dynamic, ambitious, uh, digital uh, professionals of today that want to follow in your footsteps? Um, I would say number one is um, stay, stay curious and, and continue to learn. Mm -hmm and listen to your organization. But then the second part is don't just always look at uh, on, on, on your own career. It's very important to develop the people that work with you um, because you will be judged as well by what you do to other people and whether you have create them opportunities, whether there's things that they, they can do in, in, in their lives in the, in the company and unfortunately sometimes even outside the company. But what you will be remembered for is whether you have developed them, whether you have done something to them that is increasing their marketability, their their ideas and, and things that they can deliver to the to the market. So mm -hmm. that's something I think that's very important. Don't always look at your own career, but actually do something for the people that work with you. We have created a um, something which is where, where do I have it, which is uh, a, a little a little passports um, and that's maybe something which is worth sharing as well a passport to success and we create certified trainings for many things that we do whether that is an IT security training whether that a data science training and we got little little stamps for this or, or diversity and inclusion 
Um, so many things, hack attack, we talked about um, uh, in information security. Um, but something that, that you take serious to develop trainings, to develop things that are sticking in the minds of the people that, that work with you in your organization. Yep. It's not all about the success of, and definitely not about the financial success of every year. It's important, uh, but I do think uh, most people that work with you want to see that, uh, that you've taught them something, that is something that they, that they is enriching their lives, that is something which is, has a purpose. Yep. Um, and I think um, spending time on thinking what you can do to increase the value that an organization that you lead is delivering um, to the people that work in that organization is sometimes more important than short-term successes. Okay. On that note, Marcus, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for your hospitality and your innovation center. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Henrik. Thank you. Appreciate it.